0: Welcome to the program. It is good to be back. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and this is, as the announcer said, the word to stand up for life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your Bible questions, life questions, anything that's on your heart or mind. All you need to do is call us. You can dial 210-340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll free at eight seven seven six three zero k s l r numerically at six three zero five seven five seven you can email questions we have a lot of questions that were emailed to us you can email questions at CalvarySA.com, or you can send them in using our free Calvary Chapel mobile app and if you are in your car the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app everything is hands free hit the call now banner at the top of the screen and you will be connected directly to our studio producer hey I want to thank Pastor Ken for filling in with uh, for me last week uh, Paul and I as I think you know were on um, a little vacation break Uh, in california we had a great time we thank those of you who are praying for us Uh, but it's really good to be back and uh, back at the microphone Uh, it's been a while since i've been here so if i mess up please be patient with me um our first question is from our oh what oh i'm i see i've already forgotten something Uh, My producer reminded me tonight here at Calvary Chapel, we have our men's and women's Bible studies, our youth studies at the same time, 7 o'clock, so you can make it a family affair. Uh, The the pastor's wives, Paula being one of them tonight, is going to share their heart about their recent retreat and then get back next time into our regular Bible studies. Pastor Ken will be teaching the men, and Pastor Chris and Pastor Matthew will be teaching the high schoolers and junior high schoolers. That's all at 7 o'clock. Ladies, you can watch live stream at calvaryessay.com. Okay, our first question from our email inbox is from Ariana. Uh, Hello, Pastor. It's good to have you back. Thank you, Ariana. When there's a lot of spiritual warfare against our marriage, what is the best way to handle it? Especially when it seems like we're both having a hard time getting on the same page kindly ariana ariana um spiritual warfare especially for people uh, who are committed to serving god spiritual warfare is a fact of life and you got to be able to deal with it now two things that you need to understand uh since you're the female part of the the marriage your role is to be obedient to god and submit to the leadership of your husband Your job is to support him. Your job is to help him, to encourage him, to partner with him in the calling that God has in both of your lives. It doesn't mean that you have to agree with each other. That's silly. Um, The idea that we would always agree would mean that we're not thinking. We, We don't have individual minds that we're using. So what you do is you pray for your husband. You pray that God would give him wisdom. Pray also that your husband would bring you into partnership with him on these decisions. And then, and I say this often on this program, the most important thing that two of you can do to stand against the enemy's attacks is simply to agree with Jesus. Whatever it is that you're having um, um, a hard time getting on the same page about, whatever it is, all you have to do is agree together to agree with God. Now, the Bible tells you what he wants you to do, either specifically or in principle generally. And I think one of the things that we have to remember, Ariana, is that we're never in a rush to make a decision. I know the enemy wants to rush decisions, and we've got to settle this issue now. I think sometimes it's a matter of just saying, okay, uh, and I'll use me and Paula as an example. Paula, please pray about this, and, and I'm going to pray about this, and let's find out what the Lord says and then we've already agreed to agree with him. So it's not a matter of, of whether we're on the same page. It's her opinion or my opinion. None of that matters. What matters is that we're both already in agreement to be obedient to the Lord. So don't be rushed into making decisions. Now, let me also mention this. One of the ways that Paula helps me more than anything else is she slows me down. I have a tendency... um. To, to to do things too quickly um, I, I, I wasted so much time before I got saved Ariana. that, that boy if I think the Lord is leading me to do something that's okay let's do it right now well Paul slows me down sometimes and I know God is a big God and if he really wants me to do something he's going to speak to Paula's heart about it too so when I bring her into the process then as God moves on her heart then I know that we're walking together uh, one of our principles in marriage in following the Lord together is Amos 3.3. 3. How can two walk together unless they agree to do so? And I want Paula to be with me. That means I don't want her to agree with my opinion. I want her to be with me when we're walking in obedience to the Lord. Ariana, the truth is right now in our lives, there's something going on that's a very scary step of faith. And and we talk about it and it's like, uh oh but but we know God wants us to do it and so we're gonna do it. I couldn't do it if I didn't know that she was with me. So it's very important to walk together and it's just a matter of of both of you, husband and you, getting on Jesus' page and then letting God take care. If your husband is smart, he'll wait until you're in agreement with him. I think sometimes we husbands, because we're the head of the house kind of thing, I think sometimes we try to put a little pressure on our wives to come along. And and I think that's detrimental. So just wait until you're in agreement. Pray about everything together and individually. And then when the Lord has spoken to your heart, then you come together in agreement and do it. But remember, the principle for you if, if your husband was writing this question, I would, I would be saying something different. But the principle for you is wives submit to your husbands as unto the Lord. And Ariana, if you're doing your part, if you're being obedient, Jesus, I promise, will take care of you. And if your husband is making rash decisions or if he's wrong about something, uh, as long as his heart's right with the Lord, then Jesus is going to slow him down. Now, if he was the one asking this question, I would go to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21, where it says, Submit to one another out of reverence for God. And there's a lot of decisions that are going to be made in the years to come in your lives. So here's what you do. You purpose in your heart to take everything to the Lord in prayer. And you're not going to be hurried to step out. Don't let the pressure of having to do something, don't let that kind of pressure, force you to do the wrong thing. Just wait on the Lord. One of the things that he's trying to teach us in that process is is to, to use the spiritual uh, gift of patience so that, that patience is a fruit of the Spirit in our lives. So, Ariana, thank you. I hope that answers your question. Um, but remember, there's always going to be spiritual warfare in your marriage because you have committed, you and your husband, to serving Jesus Christ. Great question. Thank you very, very much. Here is our next question. This is an anonymous question from our email inbox. Uh, Pastor Ron, in the Bible, when prophets or disciples were given visions of the future or had an encounter with angels, they were either terrified or fell on their face in reverence of what they saw. An anonymous I would end, sometimes they were sick. Daniel was sick for a long time. I mean, it was so overwhelming that, that it, it physically affected him. And then her question, or his, th- this question continues, this fact makes me believe that people who say they were in heaven for 20 minutes and came back, things like that, are not telling the truth. What do you think about those types of claims? Anonymous, you've put your finger on the answer already. Uh, these are made-up stories. They're made-up stories. They're there to sell books. Um uh, sometimes, and the possibility exists that they're real experiences, but they're demonic. Um, but but a lot of these things um, have, have, have been already proven false. Uh, the sad thing, the real tragedy, is that we keep buying those books. I don't know why we keep buying them. You know, Anonymous when I was a new believer, I was uh, you know I wanted to read everything. And so I I read a lot of those books. I thought, oh, I want those kind of experiences. But we need to remember that when the Apostle Paul was taken to the third heaven, which is the dwelling place of God, um, he saw inexpressible things. He said, things that man is not permitted to tell. So if we know our Bibles, we know that every time somebody who claims to go to heaven comes back and tells us what they saw, we know that those are false claims, made up claims, because God says man is not. God's word says man is not permitted to tell the things that they saw in heaven. So these are made up experiences. As a new believer, he said, why would anybody who loves Jesus lie about these things? And then I realized that that in large parts of the church, there's all kinds of fleshy things, and uh, people are making money, and they're received. Uh, uh, in churches all over the country, and they're treated like celebrities. And honestly, our flesh likes that kind of thing. Um, but if the Apostle Paul says men were not permitted to tell what they saw, and he didn't, then we know that all of those claims are false claims. And there are a lot of them, uh, little boys who who ostensibly uh, we went to heaven uh, that that story has been proven to be false. In fact, the the, the young boy as he's grown up has admitted as much now. Uh, but but there's all kinds of them, um, and and the fact that we keep buying them is really sort of shameful, in the process. So anonymous, thank you for the question. I appreciate it very very much. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. Let's go to Alan from San Antonio online one. Alan, thanks for calling. You're on the air.
2: Hi Pastor Ron, uh, God bless you. Just wanted to check in with you, and uh, uh, <clears throat> I was just listening to your your show. I hope you had a good week. Uh, Listen to Thank Pastor you. Ken last week, and uh, hope you had a good, good week uh, out there uh, wherever
0: you were at. Thanks, Alan. Uh,
2: yeah, I just wanted to continue to ask for your prayer. Um, I've just been taking a lot of strong medicine, and I feel nauseous and. Uh, like I'm floating all the time but uh, just continue to to uh, receive your prayer and I pray for you and uh, Paula and uh, Ron and I'm sorry uh, Ken and his wife May and uh, people there at, at the church and appreciate your prayer
0: thank you Ellen uh, we have been and I will continue to pray for you. in fact I'm going to ask now Lord strengthen my friend my brother Alan um, we haven't met face to face Lord but but um, surround him in your love and give him your strength and help him physically, Lord, to feel better so that he can use the strength that you've given him to serve Jesus with all of his heart. Amen. Thank you, Alan. I appreciate the call very, very much. Here is a question from our mobile app anonymously. Um, In Genesis 32, Jacob wrestles with God. I know it's true, But it's hard for me to picture. Can you explain what exactly happened and why? Um, Yeah, I can. This this is, for me, Anonymous, uh, the most personal of chapters in the Bible. Um, Genesis 32 has been sort of a a scriptural mantra for me uh, from the very beginning of my walk with God. Uh, Jacob saying, I will not let go until you bless me. is something that I've been saying to the Lord daily. For all of my years walking with Jesus, it's it's just like no matter how hard things get, I will not let go of you, Jesus. Now let me explain what was going on uh, in Jacob's life. Jacob, as you would remember, um, stole his brothers uh, stole his brother's birthright. He didn't have to. God already said it was his birthright, um, but he conned his brother out of his birthright. And of course, the tension between them, the animosity between them. Um, uh, became fierce. Um, and In the process, Jacob had to leave home and and uh, knew one day after his father died that, that Esau would be coming. Now, Jacob's whole walk with God was Jacob trying to get God to do what he wanted God to do. That's not unlike a lot of us. You know, we pray, God, give me this. God, bless me with this. And... What we ought to be saying is, Lord, your will be done in my life. That's that's the only thing that I want, your will. Now, with grateful hearts, Paul says, we can make our requests known to God. But Jacob was one of these guys who always figured... Uh, J- Jacob knew that verse, that famous Bible verse, God helps those who help themselves. It's not really in the Bible, you know. But Jacob was always trying to m- manipulate God, um, doing what he wanted to do. And um, Jacob, earlier had an encounter with God, the the ladder that ascended from heaven to earth, angels ascending and descending on that ladder. Um, Jacob met God, but he continued to try to do things on his own terms. I say often, Anonymous, that, that when we come to God, we have to come on his terms. We can come as we are, but we can't stay that way. We've got to come to him on his terms. Jacob, at that point, knew God. We would we would say that's that's his born again experience, but he was still trying to manipulate circumstances in his favor. Um, finally, his father dies, and he he hears that Esau is coming for him. Esau is coming for him with a large army. Jacob figures, okay, this is it. He's going to kill me. And Jacob gets away, He tries to protect his family, but then he goes away, and that's the night in chapter 32 that he wrestles with God. Now, this is Jesus, Jesus in the form of a human, but they wrestled all night. When Jesus was wrestling at the beginning, Jacob was trying to get away from him, and all night long... Jesus held on to Jacob. I'm not going to let go. I'm not going to let go. I'm not going to let go. Finally, because God will never overcome our free will, finally he touched Jacob's hip with such power that he crippled him. He was crippled and walked with a limp for the rest of his life. And Jacob realized finally that the only way to win this wrestling match was to lose. And so what he did is he... Uh, Jesus let go. It was morning. Jesus let go. Jacob then is the one who was holding on to him. And Jesus would have looked at him and said, why are you holding on to me? You've been trying to get away from me all night. And Jacob just looked at him and said, now that I see the power that I'm running from, I will not let go until you bless me. And that was the moment when we would say in a New Testament context that Jacob was filled with the Holy Spirit and he was able then to walk with Jesus for the rest of his life. Not perfectly, of course. But he wrestled with God. The important thing here is that he won by losing. So that line, I will not let go until you bless me, every one of us ought to be praying that every day. Those of us who think we can get God to do what we want or think that we can serve God on our terms... We need to hold on for dear life. And that's why, literally, every day, that's how I begin my days. I will not let go. I don't want to let go. And I ask him to hold me really, really close. I tell him that if I let go of you, I'm going to mess up everything that you've done in my life. And so I'm not going to let go. So, Anonymous, that's what happened in Genesis 32 and and the events leading up to that. But the result is, after that, Jacob, of course became a man who fulfilled his destiny with God. And that's what we all want. We want to accomplish the will of God in our lives. And that means we got to hold on to him for dear life. He's holding on to us, but he will not overcome our free will. We can choose to walk away. We can choose to do things on our terms and settle for far less than God's best for us. But if we'll adopt this, I will not let go until you bless me, Lord, process then we understand what it really means to walk with Jesus. Thanks for asking about that one. That is, is um, I, I, I can't even communicate how personal that is. Here's a question from Chris uh, from our email account. Uh, I have a friend that is attending a theology course at their church. They're attending CBC. I guess that's in town here. Apparently right now they're going through the doctrine of creation and using Tim Mackey's curriculum. My friend did their best to explain what they were talking about. and To me, it just didn't sound right. It sounded as if Tim Mackey was saying something about parallelism within the creation account in the seven different styles of creation or something like that. I'm right now trying to research it to create an informed opinion. I'm wondering if you've ever heard of Tim Mackey and your thoughts on him from what my friend was explaining to me. It sounds weird. But it could be that they were explaining it wrong. Any thoughts would be greatly appreciated, Chris. Uh, Chris, Tim Mackey and his lifelong friend John Cole, or John Collins, rather, uh, are the founders of the Bible Project. And the Bible Project, if you look at it, and, and I've had several questions uh, about the, the, the Bible Project over the years. Um it's, it's very well produced, uh, very professional. They've got professional actors voicing over the characters. It's done uh, primarily in animation, but they got they got the famous people doing the voiceover. so it's, it's really a quality production product. Now the problem is the theology that goes behind it. Um, how can I say this? They, they are uh, um, closet universalists. Uh, Their view of hell is that hell is not real, but hell is a a man-made concept, and and hell is literally being uh, in this world of sin, and that's hell. So the idea, and when I say closet universalists, nobody will admit to that because they would lose most of their audience, but I suspect over time we're going to find out that they don't believe anybody goes to hell because hell really isn't real, and those are really, really problematic. Um, Jesus spoke about hell a lot. Uh, whenever I get somebody who asks me questions about somebody like this, I I, I I go to their websites or listen to their materials. And there are a couple of things that I want uh, to know their position on. One is, um, is there, what do you teach about hell? Another is, what do you teach about homosexuality? Uh, what do you teach about creation? Those kinds of things. And uh, I found them problematic in all of these. I think the biggest problem uh, the Bible Project has is their soft peddling of the atonement of Christ. Um, um, I I don't find this healthy. I don't find it sound doctrinally. Um, It scares me a little bit because it is so well done. Uh, They are uh, attracting a lot of people. Um, who look at it and think it's good to, to, to hear that a church here in San Antonio, especially a big one like CBC, is using it, is is really difficult for me. Uh, the pastors of churches, we need to guard our flocks, doctrinally speaking, and to expose them to, to this kind of curriculum um, with such a light treatment of, of, of essential doctrines uh, is really, to me... um a dangerous thing. It is as though the pastor uh, is abandoning uh, his sheep in time of need. So this is, in, in my view, unhealthy. Um, it is dangerous only because it is so good. Uh, but but this is a, a a project that's being championed by universalists who who they their complaint is that they're not going far enough uh, with the universalism. They're not they're not being Outspoken enough, but I think there's just going to be all kinds of difficulties. One of the things on their website, Chris, that that I deal with, it, it's a, they advertise it as a new way of viewing the scriptures, and there is no new way. If it's new, it's not true, and if it's true, it's not new. And and they're they're like people have done over the years. They're simply trying to find a new way. To view the scriptures, and there just isn't any. So I think your discernment is kicking in. Warn your friend that this is not where you get your doctrine. You get your doctrine from the book of of Genesis. You get your doctrine uh, in, a, in a chapter by chapter, verse by verse study of the word. And as I tell the church here at Calvary Chapel all the time, Chris, doctrine really matters. It may be boring to some, and people don't want to want to really dig in and do the work. But doctrine matters because it determines what you believe determines how you live your life. And if your doctrine isn't solid, neither will your walk with Jesus be solid. That's how important it is. So um, Tim Mackey and uh, and Jonathan Collins, uh, please, please, please be careful of them. Uh, one other comment, Chris. Um, if you would go to YouTube and forget the Bible Project for a moment. But just listen to some of Jonathan, uh, I'm sorry, Tim Mackey's teachings. Uh, you'd find all kinds of problematic issues. Uh, he's a pastor of a church called Black Hawk Church. Uh, I can't remember off the top of my head where it is. But uh, if you listen to just the teaching, you would find all kinds of problems with it. It just, it just rambles. It doesn't make sense. It's, it's just something I think that we ought to avoid hey well we have made it through the first half hour here of the program 340-9585 or toll free eight seven seven six three zero kslr we'd love your calls so we'll be back in two minutes
1: To the word to stand on for life. We're taking your calls at 340 or toll free kslr Now here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh.
0: Welcome back to the second half of our Monday show, 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. I have two questions. They're almost the same: one from Joe and another from Daniel. So I'm going to read Joe's because it's detailed and then Uh, Just touch on Daniels for a moment. We're going to be answering the same question. Joe says, Hi, Pastor Ron. As I'm learning more about the Bible and the rapture specifically, I was wondering if you can bring clarity to it. I'm confused. Pre-tribulationists believe that God's chosen will be raptured before the tribulation. Post-tribulationists believe that God's chosen will go through tribulation to receive the blessings and then get raptured. Dispensationalists hold the futurist view. Uh, we are, by the way, uh, uh, Joe, we are dispensations. I mean, that's the only way that you can look at the Bible and actually understand to whom the letters were written and what it means. It just means that we understand that God deals with different people at different times in different ways. God himself doesn't change. But the way he deals with men, for an example, he deals with Abraham through covenant promises. He deals with Moses through the covenant of the law, um, but but with you, with me, uh, he deals with us via grace. Um, so so just just there's seven specific tribu- dispensations, just different ways of 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 um, understanding the scriptures. Now I guess get back to your question. Um. And in the tribulation, and I guess you mean in the post-tribulations, it's thought to occur before the second coming of Jesus and during the end times. In this view, according to Wikipedia, and Wikipedia is never a good source for doctrine, he says the tribulation will last seven prophetic Hebrew years, lasting 360 days each, and all but the great tribulation will be the second half of the tribulation period. That's why I'm so confused, the three and a half years explanation. I found it to be a six step understanding. Would you mind telling me if I'm on the right track? Thank you. Here's his steps. Jesus comes down from heaven to take us with him at the rapture. Jesus brings down his this is two, Jesus brings down his judgment on the earth at the time of the tribulation. Three, we rule over the world for a thousand years with Jesus while the devil is sealed in the pit. It'd actually be in the abyss. Four, the devil's release and we'll have a final war against God. And ultimately throws him in the lake of fire for all eternity to be tormented. Five, God's final judgment will take place. Six, we will live with God forever, as children, in a new heaven and a new earth. Now let me just touch on something for with Daniel's question. He says um, I was introduced through my studies of the rapture, pre-tribulation, mid-tribulation, pre-wrath, and post-tribulation. All these have been backed by scriptures. However, I'm not sure if the context is accurate. Which one do you believe and preach on? So those are the two questions. They cover the same thing. So let me take a few minutes here and try to straighten this out. For you, Daniel, we are definitely a pre-trib rapture. Um, the, the millennium is going to happen uh, before um, the, the second... Not before the second coming of Jesus, the the millennium is going to occur, uh, and and then the new heaven, new earth is going to be made. So we are uh, pre mill, pre tribulation. Um, the other views, and and this is what you've got to understand. The other views are speculating on um, on really taking taking text out of context and, and end up confusing. Uh, those who believe in the mid-tribulation rapture believe that at the three-and-a-half-year point of the Great Tribulation, exactly halfway into the Great Tribulation, uh, that's when we're going to be raptured. pre rathers and this is fairly new uh, and, and has become much more popular than just the mid-tribulation view, they believe that the uh, Great Tribulation um, um, is the second half of the of the of the seven years, um, but but it's only in the second half of the seven years that the wrath of God is going to be poured out. Bad things are going to happen, but the real wrath of God starts in the the uh, in is in the second three and a half years of the seven years, and we're going to be raptured just before that wrath before that wrath is poured out. Post tribulation makes no sense at all. It just says that that we're going to go through the great tribulation. Then we're going to be raptured, and then we're going to come right back again with Jesus, and we're going to rule and reign with Jesus for a thousand years on the earth. Now, let me tell you basically the reasons that it can only be a pre-tribulation rapture. The character, the nature of God always has to be viewed, for Daniel and Joe, always has to be viewed before you can come up with a doctrinal position. And if the wrath of God is going to be poured out, now let me make something very clear. If you go to Revelation chapter 6, which I'm going to be teaching on this Friday night here at Calvary Chapel, the last two verses of chapter 6 clearly indicate that is the beginning of the wrath of God poured out. They even use the word God's wrath and the other time the wrath of the Lamb uh, in those last two verses of chapter 6. When the Great Tribulation Begins. So, the Great Tribulation, a quarter of the population of the earth, roughly one and a half billion people are going to die in the first series of sealed judgments. And again, the last two verses of chapter 6 calls it the wrath of the Lamb and the wrath of God being poured out on the world. So... Um, It has to be a pre tribulation rapture because we are not appointed unto wrath. Paul writes this to the church in Thessalonica. We're not appointed unto wrath, but unto salvation. Now, I can go back further into the book of Genesis. Um, When Abraham and Jesus were sort of negotiating, uh, Jesus comes to let him know that he's going to uh, destroy Sodom and Gomorrah because of the wickedness. And Abraham starts negotiating with him, will you destroy the righteous with the wicked? What if 50 righteous people can be found? And he negotiates all the way down to just a few. The problem, of course, is that the answer was no. Will the righteous judge of all the earth not do right? Can you destroy the righteous with the wicked? The answer is no. And yet those who believe in a mid-trib, pre-wrath, or a post-tribulation rapture would have us believe that God is able to pour out his wrath on those of us who have been made righteous by the blood of Jesus Christ. So Daniel, Joe, that's impossible. That's contrary to the nature and the character of God. I did a study not too long ago. You go to Revelation chapter 4, the very first study. It's CalvarySA.com very first study in chapter 4 is all about the rapture and why it has to be a pre-tribulation rapture of the church. So please understand that, that, that doctrine has to be consistent with the character and nature of God. Nowhere in the Bible does it talk about, does it even hint that believers are ever going to be subject to the wrath of God poured out. So back to you, Joe. Um, your, 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 your six steps and timing is not bad. Jesus comes from heaven to take us with him at the rapture. That's the very next thing that's going to happen on the prophetic calendar. When he does that, then his attention will no longer be in the dispensation of grace. This, this um, gap between the 69th and 70th weeks of Daniel from uh, Daniel chapter 9, um, um, he will once again then deal with the world in judgment according to his wrath. And that's the time of the Great Tribulation, the time of Jacob's distress, a time that Jesus said is worse than anything that's ever happened or ever will happen. After the Great Tribulation, after the seven years, Revelation chapter 19, we return with Jesus to rule and reign with him for a thousand years. It is a literal thousand years and we will in some way that we're not given the description of, we will be... Rulers, We'll be in our glorified, resurrected, physical bodies like Jesus, and we'll rule and reign with him. And the enemy, the devil, is going to be locked away for a thousand years. Then at the end of the thousand years, he's going to be released for a short time. Now, you say he'll have a final war against God. There's no war. There's war, you're going to have two competent sides. Satan is God's servant. And the reason that he's going to be released at the end of the thousand years is to give people who have been born, people in their flesh and blood bodies, billions and billions of them. um, They never had the opportunity to make a free will choice to serve God. They would be, during the thousand years, compelled. So God is going to release the devil. He's going to deceive them. And after a thousand years of perfect justice, of perfect holiness, of quick and righteous judgment... The Bible says tragically that the numbers of those who rebel against God will be like the grains of sand on the seashore. Um, when that happens, uh, God's patience will be done, and that's when the great white throne judgment occurs. Every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord. And when that happens, that will be the final judgment. That's when Satan will be thrown in the, into the lake of fire, and, and along with all those who rejected Jesus Christ. And then after that, of course, the new heaven and the new earth will be um, ready for all of us to enjoy. So thank you very, very much, Joe and Daniel. appreciate it. Let's go to Ruben from Seguin on line one. Ruben, good to hear from you. I've been praying for you.
2: God bless you, Pastor Ron. Uh, thank you. Um, Pastor Ron, I, I don't mean to take your time this isn't a question or a comment i just wanted to apologize to you and to the person who paid for me to go i didn't i didn't go i wasn't able to um i've allowed the enemy to just mess with my mind and for these past three weeks and you know just thinking that um telling me you know, hey. They think you're ungrateful. They, they think that, that, you know, you just, you know, you used them and this and that. And, and they gave you something and you didn't even take them up on that. And I've just been allowing them to beat me up. And, and I just wanted to tell you that I'm sorry that I didn't go. Yeah. And, uh, Ruben,
0: let me, let, me, let, me come, let me comfort you. And I, I want you to really take this deep into your heart. People of God don't really think like that. We knew that something happened, we knew that you got hurt and and were unable to come. It saddened us. We were looking forward to seeing you, and I know a lot of people were praying for you, um but at the same time, um you know we, we don't think the worst of people. It's not like oh well, well, Reuben just bailed on us. It wasn't that at all, but we prayed for you. Uh, it would have been wonderful for you to be there for you to be there. Uh, we had a wonderful retreat men 's retreat. And um, maybe we'll be able to get to do it next year with you. But please don't listen to the lies of the enemy. Um, okay. We'd love to, love to have you join us anytime.
2: Yes, yes. That's a bit taken, I just wanted to call and let you know, okay?
0: Thank you, Ruben. Feel better, please. God bless you. We're praying for you. Three four zero ninety five eighty five for your live calls and questions. Here is a very timely question from Daryl. Daryl says, uh, Pastor, I don't want to get the vaccine because I feel they're not safe, but my job is forcing me to. As a Christian, what should I do? Daryl, I cannot tell you how many times I've had this very question from people face to face. People in our church are concerned. they're, They're being forced to lose their livelihoods over this choice. Now, as a Christian, what should you do? You should do what Jesus tells you to do. Jesus knows you have a family to support. Um, but, but your objection, um, I, I just don't think we can find Christian grounds to object. Now, let me say this because I want to be clear. I think it is unconscionable that people are being forced to choose between supporting their families, making a living, doing jobs that they've done for, for many, many years. I mean, think about this, the, 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 the numbers of nurses and doctors who were refusing to get the vaccine. Uh, huge, huge numbers. Now, they know something. And yet, a year ago, we were calling them all heroes for standing in the line of fire, and now we're threatening them with the loss of their jobs if they don't get a vaccine. I mean, how unfair is that? There's just no conscience in this vaccine mandate at all. Thank the Lord, Daryl. We live in Texas. I think uh, in your case, uh, I don't know where, what your job is, uh, but but um, in Texas, um, th- they're no longer able to, to force you to lose your job uh, if you don't get a vaccination. So I think there's help out there. Having said that, um you know, I'm not opposed to vaccines at all um I, but this is a choice that ought not to be foisted upon us. This is a choice that every person needs to be able to make of their own free will now I think nationally it's it's like eighty more than eighty percent now of of the people in our nation are vaccinated with at least one shot, and many of course with two and and are getting boosters. Um, but w- one of the real difficulties here is, I mean, if we're, we're at that level of vaccination, there shouldn't be a problem. There just shouldn't be a problem. So do, for Romans fourteen twenty three says, anything not of faith is sin. So if you can't, in faith, get a vaccination, then you're going to need to stand willing to pay the consequences. Uh, and if that's losing your job, that's when we have to trust that God, Daryl, is going to take care of us. Uh, in California, we were in uh, in the San Diego area uh, last week, and uh, I was talking with a pastor of a church there. Um, uh, I was really blessed by the by the pastor and the church there, um, but but he was actually dealing with it in a message that he did. And I asked him at the end. I said, "So why'd you do this message now?" And he said, "Because in November in California, all children in schools are, are mandated to be vaccinated as well." And 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 people are up in arms in California. I mean, they voted for these people, so uh, it shouldn't surprise them. But they're now up in arms because now they're putting their children at risk. And a lot of people, especially conservative people, and most Christians are conservative people. Um, um, you know, they're, 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 they're really now drawing the line. I, I, I don't want my children to be exposed like this. And so he was doing a teaching and then going to have a question and answer session later in the afternoon um, about how Christians ought to deal with it. And as a pastor in California, he was saying, this is, is what we can do. and And the result is we're free to make the choice that we're going to make, but we're not free to avoid the consequences of our choices. From the beginning of time, Daryl, Christians have been making choices to stand against um, um, these kinds of mandates. Um, But we've never been given the freedom to escape the consequences. I think this is a test of our faith. I'll also say this, Daryl. I think the choices that Christians are going to make are going to be a, a lot more severe than that choice. I think this is just the way the world is going. And I think we've got to get used to the fact that we are going to suffer consequences in this world. So I I feel for you. I, um, I can only counsel you to do what the Lord tells you to do. And if you can't take the shot in good faith, then don't take it. But be prepared to deal with the consequences of it. Again, I think these mandates are unconscionable. I, I'm 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 old, so you, you all know that. I never believed that we would live in a country that would come to this. I never believed that this would be possible. And yet, more and more, we're seeing our individual freedoms being stripped from us. And uh, many people are paying the price. There's uh, new videos on the news about uh, police officers, law enforcement officials. Uh, in in uh, the northwest, Washington and Oregon, um, who are quitting in mass um, because of this vaccine mandate. Um, I, I, this past weekend, Paul and I we ran into an unbelievable uh, travel nightmare uh, in Phoenix. Southwest Airlines had thousands of flights canceled because a lot of their pilots called in sick because of this vaccine mandate that was to take place this coming week and uh and and it just it messed up everything uh it's just this is the world that we live in and never believed it would be possible daryl but that's what it is so this is this is a matter for prayer let the lord speak to you and your you and your wife your heart uh do his word and then agree together to do what god tells you to do thank you for the question we'll be praying for you daryl Here is an anonymous question. It says, as a believer, I'm struggling with why there are so many trials in my life. Why won't the Lord deliver me from trials? Um, Anonymous trials are part of life. Jesus said, in this life, you will be persecuted. He said, people will hate you because they hated me. They will insult you. They will report you to the to the magistrates. We would say to the authorities. And we're seeing that kind of thing here going on now. But, but I think what you need is a, a more solid grounding in what your faith is really all about. Jesus has promised not to deliver you from trials, but to deliver you through trials. He's promised to be with you in our struggles. But he's never promised to deliver us from our trials. So I think you need... A more solid doctrinal background, you need to be in a church that's that's teaching the the Word of God, rightly dividing the Word of god um It needs to be your walk needs to be based more on his presence in your life than on how you feel or what you're going through uh the The question that we had at the beginning of the program about genesis thirty two you need to be one of those men or women that you don't say which which you are. Um, but, but you need to be one of those people that, that say, I will not let go until you bless me and just hold on tight in Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 2 says, It is required that every man, I would add a woman here, given to trust by God, must prove faithful. And that means we're going to be in t- in trials. We're going to have testing. And we've got to get used to it because they're not going to go away. In these last days, they're going to become even more difficult. And it's in those trials that Jesus will give you a peace that passes understanding. But remember, Anonymous, you're not going through those trials alone. We sing a song here at Calvary Chapel, Never Once Have I Walked Alone. Um, Jesus is going to be with you. He's promised never to leave or forsake you. But he never promised you that your life would be without these trials. Use these trials to find out more about who he is. If you'll do that, it'll change your whole outlook. Thanks for the question. Here is a question from our email inbox, also anonymous. In the past, I've been connected to many bikers, motorcycle types. Before Christ, I was in a motorcycle club. and As you can imagine, we lived a life that was not pleasing to the Lord. Now, I am part of a motorcycle Christian club. I feel convicted that I'm not pleasing the Lord. I don't live in habitual sin and not doing the things I used to do. However, when I'm part of this type of club atmosphere, even though it is Christian, I'm not sure this is right. I feel like there is more pride. We talk more about ourselves and some of these Christians can be rough in the way they attempt to preach God's word. I get a different feeling while I'm in church uh, than when I'm at a motorcycle fellowship and preaching. I may need to examine more heart or my heart even more. But do you believe that the Lord finds these motorcycle clubs pleasing to him? Uh, Anonymous, I've had some motorcycle clubs connected to our church in the past. And I can promise you that he found those motorcycle clubs pleasing. And the reason was because the leadership there were people that were focused on Jesus. So here's what I would suggest you do. Go to whoever the leaders of these motorcycle clubs are and tell them that this is way too much about us, way too much about our motorcycles, way too much about our pride, and not enough about Jesus. You be the instrument that God uses to bring light into the middle of that darkness. And when you do that, what's going to happen is God will use you to go back and reconcile those who've fallen away from him. Now, if they refuse to change, then you have to. It's that simple. Then it's time to say goodbye. But, but there's, I'm, I'm sure there are still wonderful motorcycle Christian clubs out there where people can go out and enjoy their motorcycles and have fun doing it, but do it in a godly way. So that's all I'm saying. Whatever you're doing, if, if it's not honoring the Lord, even if it advertises itself as Christian, if it's not honoring the Lord, then you need not to be there. Bad company corrupts good character. Don't let the bad company convince you to behave like them you be the light that they need to see what jesus really is all about to see what he's really like and when people look at you you'll be standing for righteousness it doesn't mean you got to preach you don't have to get on a soapbox but but you just talk to the people in charge and just say look we need to be closer to jesus this needs to be more about him and less about our bikes and less about the fun that we have but but believe me there's nothing wrong with riding motorcycles I'm going through a Harley-Davidson phase myself right now. And if I had one, I'd be riding one. If I could see and if Paula would let me, but she won't let me. But <clears throat> there's nothing inherently wrong with a, a Christian motorcycle club or, or a Christian sports club or anything else. But Just make sure that you yourself are honoring the Lord with all of your heart, strength, and soul. Thank you for the question. I'll be praying for you. Please check in with us so we know how you're doing. Hey, thanks for having me back. It's been great to be back. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. This has been the Word to Stand On for Life. Lord willing, I'll be back tomorrow at 4 o'clock on AM 630 The Word. We'll see you then.
1: Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh.